0: Okay, if you have Bibles with you, please open up uh, to Philippians uh, chapter 3. So, happy Easter, and uh, for all of you who are visiting today, we're we're thrilled, we're delighted, we're honored to have you with us to celebrate uh, Easter Sunday. Um, For those of you who weren't here last week, uh, Russ uh, shared his personal testimony with us. And man, it was powerful. How many of you guys were here for that? Wasn't that amazing? If you weren't here and you haven't had a chance to listen to it, do yourself a favor and um, go on the church website. Uh, It's on there from last week. Russ wasn't able to be with us this morning, but boy, oh boy, it was just deeply moving. He shared his personal journey, his spiritual journey. It was was really amazing. Um, So I'm currently preaching a series of messages on the Gospel of John um, I didn't speak last week because who would dare try to interrupt the power message that Russ was sharing with us. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of veer off of John today and offer you a, an Easter message uh, instead. Uh, we'll get back to John. We're in chapter 6 of John. We'll get back to that next week. But like I said, if you have Bibles, open to Philippians chapter 3. The title of today's message is The Power of the Resurrection. And, and I've got really three main points, knowing him. Resurrection power and uh, shared suffering. And so I'll, those are the points I'll touch on. I really want to focus on verse 10, but let's, uh, let's read verses 7 to 11 for the sake of context. And, and this is Paul point, uh, writing to the, to the Philippian church. He says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Lord, I thank you for your word, for the power and the truth that's in your word. Lord, I pray that your word to have its full impact on us and make us to be more like Jesus. Amen? Just powerful verses. This, almost every Bible I think I've owned, these verses from Philippians chapter 3 are highlighted or underlined. There's a star in the margin or... Some kind of mockings for sure. Just powerful, powerful verses. I, I love what, what Paul says in verse seven, but whatever was to my prophet I consider lost for the sake of Christ. Verse 8. What is more? I consider everything a loss compared to. Dot 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 compared to he considers everything a loss compared to. He didn't say being a missionary. He didn't say compared to being an apostle. He didn't say he considered it all loss compared to all the churches that he planted or the supernatural experiences that he had, right? He considered everything a loss compared to what? The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Man, that is what it's all about. It's all about knowing him, relationship with him. So St. Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison and he's reflecting back on his life. He's reflecting on his his relationship with Christ and the cost. So today, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as, as believers, we celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the highest holy day on the Christian calendar. It surpasses Christmas. Maybe not as far as consumerism, but on our Christian calendar, this is it. This is the high watermark for us in the year. Christ's resurrection is what sets Christianity apart from all other faiths. Unlike every other false religion or any other cult that's out there, we serve, this is the difference, we serve a living God. We serve a God who's alive. We serve a God who's active, who's engaged in our lives. So let's briefly examine St. Paul's comments on the resurrection. Knowing him. The whole purpose, and boy, if you've been paying attention for even a little bit in the time that I've been here, you know that I firmly believe that the entire purpose of the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection is this. It's all about relationship. With Jesus, it's all about relationship. He wants us to know him. He wants to be known among us. He wants relationship. Today we celebrate, on Easter Sunday, we celebrate the restoration of a broken relationship between the Trinity and humanity, between God and people. Relationship that was lost in the garden is now restored because of the incarnation, the crucifixion, and Christ's resurrection from the dead. Our God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, passionately desires relationship with humanity. He wants relationship with you. He created all that exists that we'd have a place to meet. It's, creation is such an amazing picture of his great and lavish love for us. It is. I, when Nadine and I first started dating, right, boy, we were really young. We we're in Brooklyn. I had this one favorite restaurant in town. And I haven't been to too many restaurants. I'm only 18 years old. This is our first date, our first, like, date date. I remember asking her father. (laughs) She was 16. And so she invited me to go to her prom. You guys know the whole story, or most of you do. Anyway, so the first, I have to meet her father in order to get his blessing to take her to the prom, right? And so I remember the first time I meet him, he offers me a job. And I'm thinking, oh, this is kind of cool. He just wanted to have <laughs> as much control over me <laughs> as he could possibly have. So now I'm dating the boss's daughter. And so I t- told Nadine, he said, look, I got this restaurant in town. Was it Vesuvio or something like that? Isn't it? Doesn't even, it doesn't even exist anymore. It was in Marine Park in Brooklyn. It was walking distance from my house. That's how I could get there. I did have a call back in the day. So I told Nadine, I want to take you to my favorite restaurant. And she said, well, you have to ask my parlor. So I asked his permission if I could take his daughter out on a Sunday afternoon for dinner. And he says to me, I'll let you know. <laughs> he doesn't tell me yes. He doesn't tell me no. He says, he says I'll let you know. So days go by. And he's like, Ma, what's up with Dad? She said, oh, don't worry, don't worry. I'll talk to him. So they still late in bed. night. she says, oh, Roger, Tom's a good boy. <laughs> Let Nadine go to dinner with them. Anyway, he finally relented. I'm sure through gritted teeth and my future mother-in-law's arm twisting. Anyway, the whole point of that is to say this. I wanted to take Nadine to the best place I knew. I didn't know much. But in the limited knowledge of what I knew, I wanted to be with her in the best of what I could provide. Our God, amazing that he is, all-powerful, limitless God, wants to be with us. He creates us for the purpose of relationship with Him and then creates the heavens and the earth, all that is, the entire universe for this purpose so we could have a place to sit down and have a meal together. He could take us out on a date, as it were, that we could have relationship together. Creation is an amazing picture of the extravagance of His love for us. What an amazing God we have. He he created all that exists so we'd have a place to meet. And when relationship was lost, he didn't put the burden on us to make restoration, even though he did nothing wrong. Relationship was broken between God and man. He came to us. Everybody who's married here, you've had a fight at some point, right? Every time I, I counsel people who are dating and they're getting serious and they're thinking, oh, this is the one. And one of the first questions I'll ask them, I said, tell me about your first fight. And they're like, oh. Oh, we love each other. We haven't had a fight. I'm like, dude, you're not close to being ready yet. Come and talk to me after you had your first fight. So in the garden, between the creator and creation, we've had our first fight. God's perfectly in the right, and yet still he comes to us. You guys who are married, you know. How hard is it when you know you're right? It's not even debatable. Your spouse is wrong. How hard is it for you to go to them and to initiate what's necessary for the sake of relationship. That's what he did for us. He came to us. He didn't wait for us to come to him. We couldn't get there. I think that's the problem with the Tower of Babel. It was an offense to the nature of relationship. We were trying to reach him, and it was his intention all the while that he would come to us. When relationship was lost, he came to us to make it right. We began my series on the Gospel of John In, in chapter 1, verse 14. It says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's an amazing God. He's the initiator. He's the pursuer. He captures our heart. I did nothing to make myself acceptable to him. I came to him at the lowest point, at the most broken point. At that point in my life, he rescued me from the darkest place. It wasn't that I made myself righteous. There was no righteousness in me. None whatsoever. I beat up my best friend. He had to have emergency surgery to save his life. And in that place, people loved me unconditionally. And the love of God captured my heart. He pursued me while I was running from him. All my family members had started going to church, I thought they were Jesus freaks. I wanted nothing to do with them. God chased me down. He pursued me. The word became flesh. And he makes his dwelling among us. Jesus, the scripture says, is the perfect representation of the father, came, lived, died, rose again, that we might be friends with God. And of this relationship, the great apostle, St. Paul, said that he considered everything a loss compared to knowing Christ. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. I can almost hear like, like a British accent, I consider them rubbish. You know? I think that's why the King James is such a polite translation. I gotta tell you what, they clean this word up. When this is, when this is rubbish, it ain't, you know, I'm thinking about the blue bag I gotta tie all the stuff up in and take out tomorrow morning right, for recyclables. That's not the kind of rubbish they're talking about here. Matter of fact, if you go back to the King James version, it uses the word dung. I consider them done. If you are looking strong, Concordance, it defines this word, the New International Version, cleans up as rubbish, and it refers to it as refuge, or the excrement of animals, rubbish, or dregs. Paul looked at everything prior to knowing Christ as poop, as crap, as garbage, as nothing compared to knowing him. What's he referring to when he's saying, all this stuff I consider lost? What's what's this stuff? Well, he's referring to his religious and spiritual life prior to Jesus. Remember, he was a religious professional. He's referring to all of his life experience as a Jew among Jews. He considers it rubbish. All his training, education as a Pharisee among Pharisees. I mean, he was an up-and-comer. He was rising through the ranks. He had a career. He considered it rubbish all of his socio-political, religious public standing as a prosecutor, persecutor of Christians. He considered all that rubbish. Imagine, if you will, he's standing there and he's tearing up his PhD or his master's degree and throwing the pieces in the air. That's what he's saying. Compared to knowing Christ, my career, my standing, my history, my training, my education, all of it's nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul captured something of the reality of what this thing we call Christianity is all about. It's about relationship. So verse 10 begins with these words, I want to know Christ. And the word know here in the Greek is ginosko. It's a relational term. It's actually a very intimate, personal knowing. Gnosko, like the Hebrew word yada, is a Jewish idiom for sexual intimacy. He's talking about a deep, personal, close knowing. Gnosko is a knowing by experience. I know how you smell. I know the feel of your lips on my lips, Nadine. <laughs> right? I know the sound of her voice. I know that cute little noise she makes when she's sleeping on the couch and I'm not supposed to know she's sleeping. I know her. That's Gnosco. It's a knowing by experience. It's not an academic or a historical or a theological or an informational knowing. It's a relational knowledge. It's a spirit-to-spirit knowing. It's a heart-to-heart Knowing. So when Paul says he wants to know Christ, he's not talking about doctrine. He's not talking about theology. He's not talking about the final points of the faith. He's talking about friendship. Deep, abiding, close friendship. I want to know. I want to gnosco Christ. I want to know him personally. I want to know him like I know my best friend. Better still. So what about you today? Do you know Christ? Do you know him? Do you know him that way? Do you want to know him? Could there be a better day than today? Close your eyes for a second, please. Pray quietly to yourself, just between you and God. Maybe you've never made that choice. I want to know him. Could there be a better day than Easter Sunday to make that choice? I don't need to know you. This is between you and God. I'll pray. Agree in your heart if you feel this way. Oh, God, I want to know you like Tom's talking about today. I want to know you that way. I I want that gnosco thing. God, I want that intimate, personal, real, authentic, genuine knowledge of you. Oh, God, I want that. I want us to be close, personal friends. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. I ask you to be my God, to be my Father. Oh God, let's walk life's journey together from this day forward. Amen? Amen. Verse 10 goes on. Paul writes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, what we commemorate today. What is this power? Well, Paul makes reference to the power of the resurrection in chapter 1 of Ephesians verses 17 to 20. Another section I got highlighted in almost every Bible I own. Um, Verse 17, it begins this way. I keep asking that the Father, excuse me, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Wow. So this incomparably great power God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that the Father promised in Acts 1-4, where it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. This is Jesus. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. The gift that he promised his disciples is the Holy Spirit. That same Power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's the Holy Spirit given to the church of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak In other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. It's the power. This power that raised Christ from the dead. This power that Paul wants to know. is the Holy Spirit that was poured out on Pentecost. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that overcame hell, death, and the grave. 1 Corinthians 15 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God that he has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus rose from the dead, but before that, he went down and captured the keys of hell, death, and the grave and overcame that by the power of his Holy Spirit for you and I. And it's the power that's imparted to us now, not when we die. The power for living a supernatural life in Christ. Romans eight eleven, If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. How? Through his spirit who lives in you. Right? Can you see that there's a, there's a pattern here? There's a theme. God had this all worked out ahead of time. The Greek word for power here is the word dynamis. It's where we get the English word dynamite. It's an explosive power. It's a demonstrative power. This is the inherent power residing in the nature of God, the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. Strong's Concordance defines dynamis in five different ways. It's the power to perform miracles. It's the power to live a moral life. It's riches and wealth. It's numerical increase. And it's the strength of an army. There's a lot of stuff in that dunamis power. Do you have this Easter Sunday morning, do you have this power? Is the power of the Holy Spirit rest and reside in you? Is the working and the moving of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, alive and active in your life? If not, do you want it? <laughs> do you want this dunamis power? If you do, then would you close your eyes again? just between you and God. Could there be a better day to ask for the, the resurrection power of God than, than on Sunday morning? Oh God, give me a spirit. Give me the spirit that you promised to give. Give me the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Give to me today, O God, the spirit you poured out on Pentecost. I ask you, Lord, just like St. Paul prayed, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so I'll know you better. I don't want to be a superstar. I just want to know you as best as I possibly can. Lord, enlighten the eyes of my heart that I may know the hope that you've called me to. And Lord, I ask for your incomparable great power. Fill me with your Holy Spirit this Easter Sunday morning. Amen? Amen. And in verse 10 of Philippians 3, it ends this way. It says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Ah, man, Paul, you had a great verse going here. What do you have to go mess it up with this whole suffering stuff? I was cool with, you know, the knowing Christ and the... How the resurrection part, the sharing and the suffering. Oh man, just ruined a really good Easter Sunday message. There. But seriously, life isn't pain-free, is it? Has anybody here lived a pain-free life? Of course not. We've all experienced suffering one way or another. And the reality is this, Christianity is not a pain-free experience either. Ask anybody who's been a Christian longer than a week. This there's, there's pain. That's part of the journey. Along the way, I've heard evangelists make promises that, oh, if you give your life to Jesus, everything's going to be just perfect. It's going to be hunky-dory. It's going to be happy, happy time. I'm like, dude, you're making it really hard for pastors when you do that because not too far down the road, there's going to be hardship. There's going to be some kind of challenge, some kind of difficulty, and now I have to come and tell them the truth after you sold them a bag of goods. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. Suffering's part of the journey. It comes with the territory. Paul saw suffering not as, not as, um, well he saw it as a badge of honor. It wasn't a hindrance to his walk. And he's writing from experience. Like I said earlier, this letter is written, this letter to the Philippians is written from a Roman prison. Don't you know the prison system was a little bit different back then? Probably didn't have cable TV. But concerning suffering, this is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He says, but we have this treasure, referring to the Spirit of God, in jaws of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So when we're weak, when these jaws of clay, these earthen vessels are cracked, it's just an opportunity for the surpassing power of God's light. To shine through. His light shines through my cracks. When I'm weak, he's incredibly strong. So Paul knew that suffering came into territory. It came with the knowing part and with the power part. Paul told the saints at Rome that there was a purpose for our suffering. Romans 3, verses 3 to 5. And he says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he's given us. There is a purpose to our suffering. James puts it this way, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. I actually always want to slap James when I read these verses, but it fits today's message. Consider it pure joy, brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. No wonder, Paul wants to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. He wanted that completeness. He desired that maturity. Have you suffered? Have you suffered on your journey? Have you suffered as a Christian? <laughs> Has you, have you suffered throughout the, the years as just a church member? Do you know that kind of suffering? Most of us do. If that's you, then let's pray one more time. God, oh God, I've suffered because of my faith. And Lord, I've suffered in spite of my faith. Lord, I've suffered injustices and I've suffered the consequences of my own foolish choices. I've suffered at my own hand and I've suffered at the hands of others. Oh God, I ask you, from a place of suffering, rescue me this Easter Sunday morning. Lord, redeem me this Easter Sunday morning. Restore me this Easter Sunday morning. Lord, I pray that my sufferings would ultimately produce hope, that the things I suffer would would ultimately lead to me being completely mature and lacking nothing. Oh God, oh God, I do. I want to know you. I want to know the power of your resurrection that transcends all my sufferings. Lord, I'd like to know it this Sunday morning. Let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So to close out today, I'd like to sing a song for you. I was on Facebook the other day, and somebody posted a video I've never seen before. And it's a video um, of Kelly Mahoney. You guys mm-hmm. seen Kelly? Anybody know Kelly Mahoney? In 2000, uh, was it Mooney? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Kelly Mahoney. And uh, so back in 2006, she was in uh, Iona, and the pastor of the church there, his name is? Father Tingley. Father Tingley asked her to sing uh, Lenny Cohen's Hallelujah for Easter Sunday. And she went home and looked up the lyrics, and I was like, oh no, this is not going to work. He's with great Hallelujah chorus in the song, but lyrics aren't really appropriate for church level on Easter Sunday. So she took it upon herself. Uh, to rewrite the song. And when I listened to it, I was like, wow, that was, that was amazing. And she introduces the song and, and explains how she's from PEI and thinking, wow, this is awesome. So over the last couple of days, if you'll bear with me, I I wrote out the lyrics and and played with the chords a little bit to see if I could make this work on good. And this is really nice for sort of, service. So it's
1: Hanged them to a wooden cross. And all the way. his lips and drained his last, and gave his soul glory. You. E
0: Sunday, enjoy time with your families, and we'll see you next week.